So, the Australian Open's shaping up. Do you think it's gone quickly, slowly, medium? Do you know what day it is? <laughs> it's Grand Slam life is full on, isn't it? It's, it's, it's long, it's full it's, on. It's long and it's full on. And you know it's going to be long and full on. But then when you're in it, it feels really long. And, and I think it's gone quite quickly. I think one of our aims, this podcast, we're not going to mention the name of that person who's not here. Shall we make a deal on that at the beginning? Oh, okay. The whole thing. Yeah. When was the last not time gonna... we didn't mention that person who's not here? Oh, I thought you were about to do it. <laughs> um, we're just, I think we're just going to, we're not going to mention that name, but once everything with that happened and we got into the tennis, I think it's flown by. I think it's, uh, what are we, day? We are recording this. Um, well, technically, my side, it's Sunday, technically. Yeah, morning. okay. Just. I'm, I'm on Saturday. Just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm two minutes into... Um, Two minutes into Sunday morning and uh, I think it's been great because the thing is there were so many good stories leading up to the Open and then all the stuff happened and we weren't really talking about the actual tennis on the court and I think it's just, I think it's just picked up from there. The crowds are in. They say 50% on some courts, but that's definitely been They haven't reached it, have they? It's not not hit 50%, I think. Well, some court, when there's been an Aussie playing, when... um, when Nick Kyrgios was playing Daniel Medvedev, it was definitely over 50. I don't know how they snuck in, but Rod Laver was looking quite full, I would say. <laughs> but the fact, you know, the fans are out, the weather brings them out, it's nice, it's, it, feels, it feels normal. Do you know what I mean? Feels, yeah. It feels, of all the slams we've done during the pandemic, I think this probably feels the most normal. With the most abnormal lead up. <laughs> With the person who's With not yes. here. This is going to be, <laughs> this is he who shall not be named. <laughs> this, this is actually going to be quite difficult, especially as we're both tired because um, you, well, you're upside down, aren't you? Basically. Upside down, inside out. That is, uh, that is me. Absolutely. But I've, I've been. So what are your hours? It. Tell me your well, hours. Late, late. So what's so your average? I'm doing it for. No, but what's your, what's your like, give me an average day at the moment with these hours. Oh well, I'm doing it for a European broadcaster Eurosport, and we are we, well. Play starts at midnight um, GMT, which is our time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's it. So I'm normally on the first couple of matches. I, I, I'm doing the day session, so that is the night session for me. It's actually the night session that's better over here. Of course, everything's upside down. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I've been doing doing the day session to sort of do one or two matches each day so it's not super heavy in terms of uh, the schedule though we've had a couple of long ones I must say um but uh yeah no it's been great it's been really good I've had some great matches so you're doing the day session and I'm doing the night session yeah predominantly because I'm ah. in Australia but I'm working for a British broadcaster so yeah, so they're saying wait till breakfast <laughs> so we, we we well we have the tennis breakfast is the show and then and you tend to think then this isn't always the way but you will get guaranteed at least one if not two big names if not big matches in the night session it doesn't mean they're going to be thrillers but do you, do you know what I mean in terms of like if he who shall not be named was here he would largely play in the evening he'd have a, a couple during the day do you see so I think the thinking yeah. is the night session due to scheduling something will happen like there's a there's a, a huge match tomorrow which is going to be Ash Barty against Amanda Anisimova and ooh. I don't know if you have this trouble. I have a lot of trouble saying Anna Samova and I have to pause before I say it. 
and it's over. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't... I was struggling actually last night. I was doing Zidanecek and I was pausing before that one a bit. I don't know why. Sometimes yeah, they just don't quite flow off the tongue. Yeah, if you, if you said Amanda Anisimova over and over again, I you know oh, yeah, it's a bit of, a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, it's a bit of, of a it was, it's a bit of a tongue twister that one. So, so are you doing Barty Anisimova? Is that your your showdown match? That will be our that will be our first match. That will be a first, but my pick's gone. Amanda Anisimova wow. knocked out my pick. <laughs> Uh, don't laugh. <laughs> and my other pick initially was was he who shall not be named. So you could say I'm two for two, but I did correct that to Medvedev, and that's fine. So let's see where we are now. Then <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> I had a f- oh, fair enough. Let's just make. I, it I had a few picks. I've actually had um, uh, a debate, a discussion with Lindsay Davenport this week about what makes a dark horse. Uh-huh, so yes. what what would you what would you characterize as a dark horse? So if you had to lay out the perimeters for what could or couldn't be a dark horse in a grand slam, what would your yes and no's be? To be honest, I would think that it's really straightforward. I think if you are not in the top five favorites going into the event, then you're a dark horse. So if I were to say that uh, Anisimova is my dark horse, that means that, not now, but say at the beginning of the event, that means that I have people that I think are going to win it above her, but she could be a dark horse and sneak around the outside. And, you know, you could see that happening. I think that's as straightforward as that. You've been quite generous. So I would say definitely you can't have anyone in the top 10. Right. I don't think someone in the top 10 can be a dark horse. What about on the men's side? I don't think someone in the top 10 can be a dark horse. What? If you're inside the top 10, surely you've done enough to be in with a chance of being there and thereabouts. And it can't be a massive surprise if you were then to win. Oh, I don't know. I think, you know, if if he who should not be named was here, then I think everybody else is a bit of a dark horse. (laughs) Apart from maybe Medvedev. No one else has won it. Well, apart from We've never... We've never not said his name as much. It's absolutely incredible. So I, my dark horse is Simona Halep. Right, in the women's. Not in the top yes, ten. Yes, okay, fine. Yeah. And Lindsay Davenport said categorically, I am not allowed Simona Halep. Well, because she's won slams. She just said, how can you have someone like Simona Halep as your dark horse? Chanda Rubin, who's alongside me, she was, she was very on to the Simona Halep being dark horse. But Lindsay Davenport said, there is nothing I could say, <laughs> and we were live on it, that would convince her to agree to Simona Halep being a dark horse. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's fairly strong, I suppose, past achievements. But um, yeah, I don't know. A dark horse is a horse that is sneaking around, like sneaks up around the outside, right? That's the point of it. Yeah. They're, they're dark. They come around the outside and they win right at the end. You're, everybody's focused on the flurry of colour and everything happening in the, the real mix of the pack. Uh, and the dark horse just sort of runs their own race, comes around the outside and wins. We've seen it before. Absolutely. Um, particularly on the women's side. Uh, you know, and a couple of times on the men's. I think Chilich was a dark horse when he, he won. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's what a dark horse is. And yeah, I think that's just it's, it's just a straightforward. Somebody who's not expected to win. Somebody's not at the front of the pack. They're not leading the pack. They're not right up there in the mix. And I think I would 
probably side with Davenport in that I don't what? think Halep is a dark horse. No, well, you're, hang on, you've just gone again you're against your whole argument. You said anyone outside the top five could be a dark horse and now you're not letting me have the 14th seed as my dark horse. You've completely yeah, you gone back on your argument. I love disagreeing with you though. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm changing the goalposts. <laughs> no, we, we can't I have, didn't say we, that. I didn't say top yes, five you did. in the world. Yes, you uh, did. No, I didn't. I said yes, top five picks. So if I were okay, to sit so, here pre-tournament right. and I were Come to on, list me, and I would say Barty's the favourite, Osaka's yes. the second favourite, but yes. Dosa would be third favourite. Yes. Then I would have put in Contavit maybe. Um, Mugarutha? And then, yeah, Mugarutha? possibly Mugarutha. Yeah, uh, but okay. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. Okay, fine. I'll so give it to you because otherwise she's... I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> I love the way you said, uh, and because we do this and, and we can see each other because we've got the um, the WhatsApp video. When you said, I'm going to give it to you, you just turned away from me. You just went, I'll give it to you. And like you had give your head up. to the give side. It up. As if, as if, as if, I, as if I'm not going to, look, I need Halep because I've lost everyone else. So I've lost my dark horse in the men's. I've lost my contender in the women's. Um, d- speaking of dark horses... We can apply mm-hmm. that to Emma Raducanu at the US Open because she was 150 and stormed through and did it. I think and that I've got, might qualify. <laughs> I think just about qualifies. And can I just say, I think I think we've seen a different side to her again um, at the US Open. I think, firstly, can you explain to some people listening? Because I saw some people on social media saying, blister, what's wrong with her? Blister. We all get blisters. And explain how hampering a blister can be like that in that position, please. Yeah, I mean it's it's horrendous. Um, absolutely, blisters on the hands are something you never want to want to suffer with. We know the the Rafa tape that he's got everywhere to prevent that. He's got them on sort of all the fingers. Um, of course, you develop hard skin, but especially when you go somewhere hot and sweaty, or if you haven't been somewhere hot and sweaty for a while, then you know you're obviously going to soften up your skin. Um, and uh, yeah, you can you can wear it away, but oh, it, it's. It's excruciatingly painful. Um, absolutely. I mean, we saw, remember Hyun Chung pulled out with his blisters. I mean, biggest moment of his career. He's never been back anywhere like that since. And he had to pull out. Was that semis he had to pull out? Was it semis? Semis, yeah. Semis. I mean, it's, it's, Do you remember like Marin Cilic at Wimbledon? Final yeah. blisters. Because yeah. in the days leading up to it, in all the, the player bits and pieces <laughs> where they lay things on for the players, there was somewhere where you could go and get manicure and a pedicure. And so he had a bit of time off and he thought, oh, look, you know what? I'll get a pedicure. But what did it do? It made his feet lovely and soft. He had baby soft skin on his feet, which in your line of work is not ideal. No, it's not ideal at all. You need to work hard to sort of get that that hard skin so that it's not going to be... Um, to affected but yeah no really painful on the hand because also the racket moves as well when you when you're playing it, it, you don't just hold it, especially when you're sweaty it, it slips around and each time it does that it hurts and then on top of that because it, it hurts so much you're sort of wincing before you hit the shot so you get that bit of tension you know you know it's gonna hurt and you sort of have to do it um it's massively distracting as well massively distracting how you can sort of carry on and think about the tennis is is really tough so yeah, it's uh, very unfortunate when that happens and you just have to try and find a way to, to get through if you can, um, you know, treat it. And other times you just have to rest. I mean, Chung had to rest for months to let those blisters recover. Yeah. They were that bad. Months. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, um, 
yeah, it's not it's not fun at all. It's it's really it's really painful. And Emma Raducanu said afterwards that some members of her team didn't even want her to go out and play the match. But what what we're beginning to love about her is just sort of that grit, that determination to go out there to see what she could do. And then all the slicing, I mean, all that, I mean, she won't need to work on slice forehands for a while in practice because she did it, she did it for a couple of hours. But the fact that she even got that match with Danka Kovinic to a deciding set, I think is really impressive. The fact that the, the head stayed up, the shoulders stayed up, they didn't dip, the, atti- the attitude, it comes back, something we talked about all through the US Open is her attitude again, was absolutely spot on. Yeah, um, for sure. I I think, you know, this is a crazy time for her, isn't it? We've talked a lot about, I mean, how do you get used to this? Um, And everybody's sort of questioning you if you're not getting used to it quickly. You know, you feel like it could take a while to to get used to this sort of lifestyle and and whatever, you know, being on the tour so um you know she got a she got a good win i think in the first round which was a big boost to the confidence but but ultimately yeah i mean it is been a few months and people are sort of questioning like oh well is this wrong is that wrong why isn't she settling down because it's crazy it's just going to be crazy for a while she's probably going to have to come through the other side at wimbledon because i cannot explain to people the level of of scrutiny that she will be under at Wimbledon. Um, if she, if they think her and her family, if they think that it was bad at the US Open, it doesn't, you know, the thing was is that at the US Open, it was coming because of what she was doing, because of the results. This time at Wimbledon, and, and it was the same thing at Wimbledon last year, it came because of what she was achieving uh, and also being, being British and who she is. That was sort of a side part. Going into Wimbledon this year, the hoopla that will be around her will be purely because of what of who she is. Because she wouldn't have done anything yet. She would have just turned up and had a few practices. And obviously, yes, you earn that sort of pressure because it's what she did last year. But, you know, the, the pressure sort of developed through Wimbledon last year. And then it developed through the US Open last year. Because it's not like after Wimbledon, everybody had great expectations at the US Open. She was in qualifying. Um, so it did sort of reset and start again. There's no resetting now. There's no starting again. There's no sort of like, oh, let's see this build up in a slam. And you see like a lot of players who do sort of fall away from the very top of the game that they sort of get that back before they can then push on again. Something like a Kerber, number one in the world, struggled with an awful lot of it. But then once she dropped down to 20 and then it takes a long time, but when they finally stop the expectation and the sort of the first round, like, right, what are you going to do here? When they finally say, oh, let's just sit back and see what happens. That's when you've got that room to sort of breathe and stuff. But that's that's not happening for a very long time for Emma. Not, I don't think it will ever happen at Wimbledon again. Never, ever. Um, you know, she is the biggest sports superstar in this country, I think, without question. And Wimbledon is always a very bizarre time. Um, you know, tennis is not the biggest sport in this country, but it becomes the biggest sport for those two weeks. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be crazy. I remember I remember speaking to somebody after the US Open, somebody quite close to her, and they were saying how like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, it's going to die down at some point. And I was like, well, I'd I'd look at it as it'll come in waves because I didn't want to freak them out, but 
I know what will be coming at Wimbledon and it's it's going to be mega so it's like if you see it in waves there's going to be a wave of it again um, there'll be a wave when she wins a Grand Slam like US Open there'll be a wave at the grass court season that's just sort of it but it's it's madness but it's even different now when you think this is just her third Grand Slam and that at the US Open she came through qualifying there was a little bit of interest in the British press and it started to gather this was a completely different kettle of fish. Not only do you see her picture in and around Melbourne Park, so by the tram stops they have different posters of sort of different words, and you've got on the Masaka, Sitsipas, Radakanu, and then within the ground you see more posters and bits and pieces. An example of how things have changed is Media Day. Now, Media Day, they will hold press conferences in the main press conference room or in side rooms. Then there's a balcony where they'll come out and do TV and radio interviews. Now, when I was interviewing Harriet Dart and Heather Watson, and Harriet Dart was talking about listening to our podcast, which I thought was very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so hello if you're listening. But she would come out, she'd just sort of wander out with the bag, pop it down, sit and have a chat. We had a chat before, we had a chat afterwards. It's all very laid back. There was no sort of time limit on the interview. No, no. Emma Raducanu comes out later and there's an entourage. I'm going to call in an entourage. You know, there was there was the agent. How many? Um, there was. I'm just trying to think. There was. I think there was about four. And because you've got a WTA person, you've got yep. an agent. Well, there's sort of two agents. There's like the big agent and the other agent. You see what I mean? There's like agents within agents. See what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. There's like maybe the traveling agent and a bigger agent. And and it's now it's kind of more sort of three questions. Got three questions. So when um, I interviewed um, Andy Murray, um, again, there was there was no one entourage with him. There was no his agent. There was someone from the ATP. But it was like three questions, you know, with 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 Heather Watson and, and Dan Evans and Harriet Dart. We could sort of sit. It was a lot more relaxed. There's that extra bit of pressure when you're doing an interview and they're sort of standing nearby listening or you have to wrap it up or there's two or three questions. And that comes when you get that different level of player. And Emma Raducanu is that different level of player now. You know, she yeah. she came out, she had a lot of media commitments to do as well. It was the main interview room, it was this, it was that, it was out here for sort of three questions. And, you know, it it will it will never be as it was. But the funny thing is she didn't really know as it was because she didn't have an as it was. See, that that's again, maybe that's a good mm. thing that she didn't have an as it was. So she hasn't gone from being in a side room with a couple of members of the press speaking to her. This is all really she's ever known. So maybe that's not such a bad thing. Sure, but it's got to be exhausting, hasn't it? I mean, it's tiring for yeah. you guys because there's an extra la layer of tension. It's going to be the same for her. It's, it's the same, you know, with any conversation, it works both ways. So, you know, it's going to have pros and cons. Pros, they'll be able to manage her time better make her media commitments more efficient because there's going to be a lot of them um but yeah the cons are you know are you going to enjoy it in that sort of environment you know having you know, can you have a nice chat and a laugh and a, and a conversation not really you're just going to answer questions uh and, and move on and, and that's it so um that'll be interesting i mean i imagine that she's going to have her own not her own episode but she's going to feature very heavily in the netflix documentary if they allow it uh possibly 
during the grass, as I was saying. I mean, that would be the golden... If I was the Netflix producer, you'd be going, what we need is access to Emiratikanu during Wimbledon because that's where the circus is going to be absolutely insane. But would she want to add to that circus? Would you know, Or would she want to not do it then and do it another time? Maybe they would do it with her defending her US Open title instead. I mean, she's going to have a say in this, you know, because we've been uh, sat around, you know, if we've been waiting for matches or whatever it is, um, I've been writing out a list of all the the players that I would want them to sort of feature and focus on. Oh, good. On. Yes, let's do this because we did this on air today. Our list of... Oh, you there's, did? There's, there's some we know are confirmed and yes, then we were yes, asked they, to... Well, tell me who's on your list and let's see. Or who do you think is confirmed? Who would you, who do you think are the ones who are nailed on to feature WTA ATP? Well, I heard that um, Sabalenka has been featured at the Australian Open. Yep. Uh, and, they, and then there was that they've been following um, Fritz, haven't they? Yeah. And I'm not sure. I, I did find it really funny in the press conference before the tournament started where Zverev was asked about the Netflix documentary and he said, yeah, no, it's great. I guess they haven't started filming yet because I haven't heard from them. And they were like, oh, no, no, they're filming with other people. <laughs> so I'm sure he'll have his time, but it's just not for the Australian. But But you wonder, will he have his time or will everything that's gone on off the court affect it? I, it's going to be really interesting. I think they've got a decision to make there because there is lots of baggage that goes with Zverev. But on the flip well, side, he's the world number three and could be a Grand Slam champion at the end of next week. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's going to be very uh, interesting uh, whether they sort of wait later in the year to see if things are in a different situation with him or, or what they've got the full season to do. So, oh yeah, so who else is confirmed? You, you tell me. Okay, so so from what I believe, the confirmed people are Tsitsipas, mm. Zachary, Yes. Sabalenka. Well, that's great because my episode six is the Greeks. So, Stephanie. Well, hang Maria. on a second. You've actually done episodes. I have. Yeah, I, no, I'm absolutely. I'm wow, sending you, this to Netflix. If they you need... had time, didn't you? Um, <laughs> we were waiting wow. for a long match to finish. Uh, two couples feature. Yeah, so Gem's Life. Yeah. And yeah, that's the other my one. episode two, Gem's Life. Mm-hmm. Um, couples. Yeah, the other couple. Who's the other couple? Oh, oh, oh the other couple. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. They're not in my. They're not in my thing. But maybe that'll be one episode of following the two couples. So you've got Gems Life, who are sort of the funny TikTokers, and then you've got the the well, you've got the beautiful pair of Tomljanovic and Berrettini. Now they're the only ones I think I've heard of confirmed. And then, like you, I was just so like I'd love. I'd let, they have to do a Russians episode. The Russians have to have yes. An episode. Uh, episode three, Russian Mafia Men. That's the title. <laughs> wow. Okay, what's episode one, by the way? <laughs> They're not in the Mafia. <laughs> what do you mean? What's that? Right, here we go. Episode one, Deportation. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can fill an episode with no tennis being played at all. <laughs> they can fill an episode. Oh, wow, okay. Not one. That's going to be so painful this. for everyone, though, because we're going to sit there and it's going to be like, this is about tennis, showing the world about tennis. This is the entry for new fans to get involved in tennis. We're not going to see any tennis in the first no, episode Netflix will have been rubbing their hands together with joy. They get a deportation in the first series of this new series. I mean, they were probably celebrating in their offices. When okay, so how do you follow the deportation episode well it was it was episode one deportation episode two yep. gems life 
uh, and I, I will put oh, in wow. the other, okay. other couples. We'll, let's do. Look, there's obviously going to be other people featuring along the way, but they tend to have like, a, a storyline per episode. So we could do couples. So Berrettini and Tomljanovic can get some airtime yep. there. I yep. think that's fair enough. Um, episode three was Russian Mafia Men, which I think is, um, <laughs> you know, look, <laughs> there's, there's no insinuation. Slightly there stereotypical. Mafia. Well, no, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just because there's like a group of them. That's that's my whole thing. Anyway. That makes them a mafia. Sorry, right. if, I, okay. sorry right. if I've offended anyone. Okay. Yeah. My, my I apologise on um, Naomi's behalf. Right. Episode, episode four? four is... Uh, Alcaraz and the Dal. Alcaraz being the new Nadal and Nadal being on his way out and you you know, the the combination right, yeah. and Alcaraz is now he's lost the sleeves and everything. So yeah. um we could we could have a little look at that. Um episode five. I just put in here Coco Goff. But I sort of feel on like our own. generally youngsters. Generally youngsters. youngsters. Just yeah. generally, that's not a very snappy title. Generally, youngsters will have to work on that. I haven't. Title, that doesn't. Work. <laughs> I just wrote. Okay, <laughs> okay, generally, uh, youngsters then we've got doesn't work. An episode on the Greeks, as we were saying. I Lovely. think that would be really fascinating. The big guys, Opelka and Isda. <laughs> just see, I, I don't. I was. I was. You quite don't want that episode. I, I don't. I won't watch that episode, and I didn't want Opelka in it. But Laura Robson was saying that you have to because he's so opinionated. And even if you don't agree with his opinions, he'd be very interesting to have in it. Yeah, I think they, they would be fascinating. Well, I think, I think fascinating's... I think you've gone a little bit far with that episode. Um, and I think the episode comes quite, comes quite early. Go, I mean, you've got to do Nadal at, at French Open. I mean, you can't not follow Nadal at French Open. Right, okay. Radha, Radha and Andy at Wimbledon right. uh, and of course the Bardi party at some point so have you there's there's someone you might have missed out there can does anyone spring to Ooh. mind that you may have missed out that's quite important in the world of tennis right now right now yeah uh, no <laughs> the highest earning female sportswoman in the world oh Osaka and do you know what yeah you're right that's fair enough. And the reason I, I took her out is because I just didn't think that she would do it because I thought that she's done her Netflix series, isn't she? Yeah, which was also a point that was made earlier, but but it's still on Netflix, not like she's having to jump to a rival. And surely she'd want to be part of the... Or surely the WTA would push for her to be a part of this because she's so important. Right, okay. Would you not agree? Yeah, but... Do you think? Look, it's going to be up to players as to whether they sign on or not. Apparently, they're being told that if they sign on, it's warts and all. So they're they're sort of saying, you can't just come on and be smiley, 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 life is great. Apparently, Netflix are saying, we want to see everything behind the curtains, through the door, under the whatever, everything. Well, that's right, isn't there? I mean, it's one thing giving them access, but, you know, tennis... It does not have a huge amount of access. You know, we talk about how this, this is the company that brought us Drive to Survive. I'm a big fan of the show. Um, but just naturally in Formula One, the level of access they have. I mean, journalists just roam around the paddock on the grid two minutes before they start racing. They're just, you know, there's all sorts of celebrities and, and, and journalists and TV crews just grabbing people, interviewing them. So the, the they're just used to the media having more access um i think in that sport and in tennis it is very controlled you know you are not allowed in the player lounge in at, at grand slams we are kept very very separate the the 
players are very, very well protected. A lot of people say they are far too protected. They don't actually have a huge amount of uh, press obligations in comparison to other sports as well. Um, uh, there's a lot that they, there's optional that they can they can choose to do, but uh, in terms of the mandatory stuff, it, it's not that that high of a, a commitment. Um, so it's going to be interesting because they're going to have to give a lot. They can't just sort of sit back and think that Netflix are going to do the job of making tennis look fantastic. It's, you know, I think the players have got to get on board, as you were saying. It's got to be that warts and all. That's what people are interested in. They're interested in the stuff where it's it's not great as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that they pick the right sort of, of players. And But I think, you know, if you've got Steph and Maria um, confirmed for the Greek episode. I think that's episode five on my list. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Sabalenka, those sorts of, you know, it feels like they're the right sort of people. You, like, you can see them really getting on board. How about a wild card of Bublik thrown in there? Yeah. And someone else, someone else who you didn't mention, mm. where do you stand on this? Nick Kyrgios. Yeah. I would love to have Nick in it. And look, I've always been a big fan of Nick. And if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, back when he was actually a tennis player, I have always massively defended him and who he is and what he brings to the sport. And and I can't really understand everybody's problem with uh, with him. But he doesn't play anymore. <laughs> like he, It's all very well turning up for the Australian Open and winning a match. But like... He doesn't play. Like the last two years, I can't remember how many matches he's played, but it's just he, he's not an ATP yeah. player anymore. Yeah. Like that, that's just how it is, um, because it's been a long time now since he was actually relevant um, yeah, and true. putting himself in positions to beat the big guys. Because you can only beat the big guys if you win the matches to get there. So. You know, I mean, look, he had a crack at Medvedev, didn't he? Which which was great, and I'm sure it was fun, but. He's just not been playing. That's just that's just it. So for me, he's not really part of the tour anymore. I don't know. Do you disagree, or would you just think that nah, we have to have him in? I think the big problem is you're right. He well, he doesn't travel, so you know the next time we see him could quite well. He likes Acapulco for the partying, and he loves Wimbledon, but outside of that, I can't see him. Look, at the moment, he's he's very happy off the court, which is a big thing for Kyrgios to be settled and be enjoying himself. But he loves being at home and he loves the people he has around him. There was even whispers going around. I think it was an American TV that he's going to retire at the end of this year. Now, I don't know if yeah. that's based in anything or it was just a just loose tongues, loose lips. But they're saying he might retire. And it, it doesn't seem that far-fetched. What do you do with the rest of his life? I'm not sure once he officially retired from tennis, but I think, I don't know, I'm split. If I'm, if I'm the director or the producer or the casting director of this Netflix documentary, you want to curious because as frustrating as I find him to commentate on, and I'm actually getting a bit annoyed with him now, I will still watch his matches to see what happens. So tomorrow he's in the double, the special K's with Tanasi Kokonakis. You know, they defeat the number one pairing, which is which is going some. I know these crowds have been a little too extreme at times, but you want to see what he's doing. You know, I'll, I'll look at what he's up to on Instagram or whatever. He brings people in. He brings a new generation in and he brings people in and he brings people in that don't essentially... Will necessarily have to love their tennis. So, if I'm but what's sort of... the point in having him in the do in the documentary? Because if we're going to bring new fans in, they're going to go, "Wow, love this guy! I want to watch him play." When can I? You can't. 
He doesn't play. Yeah, but 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 do Netflix really care about that? They want ratings. They want good TV. Who makes good TV? Kyrgios will give you a show. You know, he might not feature yeah. in the whole thing because he doesn't play enough. But so on two sides, there's part of me that doesn't want him in because I agree with you. He doesn't travel. He barely plays tennis. But if I'm Netflix and the people high up wanting ratings, then, you know, what ratings am I going to get for Isna Apelka episode compared to what ratings am I going to get for a Kyrgios episode? So, yeah, ratings sure, wise, but, but, I, I take him. But also, you know, when you look at Drive to Survive, the top two drivers hadn't really featured that much. In the first series, which was a huge hit, Mercedes, the top team, didn't even sign up to it. There was no access to Mercedes whatsoever. So, yeah, but Kyrgios you know, is the top have, two, is he? No, but I'm saying you don't have to have the stars. I think that, that they'll, they're going to focus on some some smaller players, whether they the youngsters coming up or uh, say smaller, but like, you know... Your players rank 50, 60, your life on tour yeah. as well. Like they're, they're definitely going to have a big focus on that as well as focusing at the, the top end of the game. But you need, you need to sprinkle the gold dust, the stardust. You need a little bit of sprinkling of that. And, yeah. and he, as, as annoying as I do find him, and I'm kind of fed up of him, you know, wandering around kissing his girlfriend everywhere, just sort of do it in private. But then again, you could say, well, just don't follow him on Instagram, which is also a very good point. But... You know, people want to know what he's up to. People tune in, people watch him. And I think, as I say, I think if you're Netflix, you're a casting director, you want him because he does bring he does bring something to it, even if it's self-destructing. That's great But then TV. why aren't they not, they're not with him at the Australian Open? So wouldn't that be the perfect time to, to do it? He's at home in Australia. He's settled. He's actually playing, which is a start as well. So... Yeah, it's yeah, true. Maybe they've it's maybe true. made the decision not to. Or maybe he doesn't want to do it. As I say, the players have got to okay it as well. But maybe he didn't want to do it. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, can't wait. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sabalenka, who you mentioned, who is going to be in it. One, I'm, I've always had a soft spot, Sabalenka, but I'm really admired how she's been lately. 70 double faults, 7-0, seven, 7-0 zero, seven, zero, in five matches in 2022. Mm. 70. It's, yeah. it, it, would, it would break most people. We've seen Zverev, not anywhere near that number, but be broken by his double faults in a match. But she has found, more recently... A way through. She has not let the head drop. I don't know what goes through her mind, if anything goes through her mind. But the fact that she's still standing and she's into the round of 16 with this amount of double foot. Actually, there are only 10 in her last match, which is a marked improvement. Is I think it's I think it's really I think it's really impressive from Sabalenka. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you say breaking her like I mean it sort of did she was in tears in her matches in uh, you know before coming to the Australian Open because she just couldn't it was 21 in one match 
alone. And But even then she was toughing out. The first match there was 19 and she still won that match tight in the third set. And then there were tw- 21 in the next set match, um, which she lost, but she still fought all the way to the end. It was really, really tight. So she's thinking, I don't need a, a second serve really to, to get the job done. So she's just building, but I totally agree. How impressive. I mean, how can you walk on court even as number two in the world, being like, I'm not sure I've got a serve today. Let's see what happens. Um, and you know that she's going to be putting in the work, trying to sort it out. But, you know, there's some serious issues there. Technically, there's a bit of a problem. And obviously, mentally, it's 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 totally gone. Um, so wouldn't it be an incredible story if she went from that to winning? Imagine if she took the title. It'd just, it'd just be bonkers. I actually thought today when I was watching her beating Von Drusheva, and again, it went the distance, I was thinking... Could she go and win this? It was exactly the thought I had today as I was watching her. I just thought, hang on a second, because no one's talking about it. It's all about the top half, and rightly so, because it was, it is stacked up there. But the bottom half has opened up. Sabalenka is the world number two. She has a massive game. She seems to be able to find a way through despite all these double faults. I mean, I mean, you just never know. I mean... Look, I didn't pick her. She wasn't my dark horse. She wasn't my main one. But I don't know. I've I've really I've really been impressed with her, and how and the attitude and the, and the fact how and the fact how she's got through this. What Andy Murray? Where where are you on where are you on Murray after the Australian Open? What do you mean? I mean, it's great, isn't it? I just, I think it's all really well, it's, positive. It's it's positive. But then, as he said himself. Very disappointing, that performance against Tara Daniel. And does he want to continue? Yes. But does he want to keep going to Grand Slams, losing the second round to a qualifier as such? Like, no. So there's, there's been, you know, why why did we get that performance against Tara Daniel? Because he went and to I five sets bef- in his first round. That's the issue. He's got to stop getting in those scraps. I know yeah, it's sort of in his DNA. That's not going to get any easier. I know it's not going to get That's any easier, get but any easier, he has it? to find a way that when he's in a winning position to win more clinically like he, he, he used to, if he wants to not, you know, his his body, you only have one day of rest in between. You think about other sports and how much rest they get in between matches, games, you know, you know footballers playing a couple times a week feels like a heavy schedule. Um, you know, these players are playing every day in sort of the smaller tournaments, but with, with best of five sets every other day, that is not long to recover from a five set match. It is not long. I don't care who you are. Um, and he's not going to recover like he did when he was 25. He's not going to recover like he did when he didn't have a metal hip. He can't put himself in those situations. You know, we talked about it with Zverev, didn't we? For years, he just kept playing these five set matches early on in slams. And it's like, okay, you're not going to win it then. You, you can't get to the final if you keep doing that. Um, and then he's become more clinical and being able to sort of just churn through those matches. It's just, you know, part of the best of five format the reason for it is the level of physicality to get to the end of a slam and Andy knows what it takes he's done it he's won him he's been in the final here five times you know what it takes to get to the end just to hold up physically let alone if you can play good enough tennis and he, you just you can't be going to five sets in that sort of situation but still he said he was pretty happy with how his body held up but you're not going to be fresh you know mentally emotionally all of it you know everything that goes with it so um, there's definitely room for improvement. Someone else whose body 
is holding up and he's in a situation similar to Murray. Now, he doesn't have a metal hip, but he's had a lot of injuries in the past and he's doing it the right way, is Gael Monfils. So yeah. good to see him back and he's done it comfortably. He's comfortable because he is someone that cannot be going to five sets and five hours match after match after match. It's so nice to play to see him playing like he is at the moment. Injury free. Philip, remember in tears, this time last year, crashed out early. The, there's the tears, doesn't know what to do, how long he's going to play for, etc. etc. Um and ah, it's just it's so nice to see him enjoying himself and playing like he's playing. Yeah, I was a little bit worried at one point that that was sort of it for Monfils and that we weren't going to see him yeah. come back. So yeah. really nice to see that he has just completely knuckled down and uh, um, thriving really well. He had a pretty kind draw, but he's absolutely maximised. He's got Ketsmanovic now to get through to the quarters. That's, you know, he's the favourite going in there. So, yeah, I mean, we all love Monfils, don't we? I, I don't think I know anyone who doesn't enjoy watching Monfils play. He is an absolute star. So hopefully he'll be playing for a few years more. Ah, oh, he's he's great, isn't he? One thing I'm learning about here are Australian foods. So a cornetto is called a drumstick. Uh-huh. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Oh, you did know that? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't know that at all. Um, What else? Um, We had a favourite ice cream on air, as in what is your favourite ice cream? Okay, yeah. And what is and yours? We had a vote. Well, we had a vote for a fab, which is disgusting. Yeah, I know. Do you I'd know never, what that is? Yeah, I'd never pick a fab. Terrible. The thing with sprinkles. Uh, is that what won? Horrible, horrible. Did people vote for that? No, that didn't. No, everyone had a. Everyone could pick their favourite. I didn't necessarily. I don't think I necessarily have a favourite. People were sort of giving their sort of favourite ice creams. And another one was a knobbly bobbly. A knobbly bobbly. Have you have you ever wow. have you ever had a knobbly bobbly? <laughs> no. Have you? No. It's <laughs> no. Um, I've never had a knobbly bobbly, but that got quite a few votes. As well. It's amazing the things we talk about that are not actually linked to tennis at all. But we had a yeah. we had a little we had a little vote on ice cream, and, and they were telling me some I've already forgotten them, but some names of Australian ice creams that you can't get over here. So I've been learning some some different words of of different things. The old Vegemite Marmite thing comes. Did you know that a British yeah. that links deodorant have made a Lynx deodorant with Marmite. With Marmite in it? Yeah, so it smells... It's, it's disgusting. It's, it's Lynx, it's Lynx oh, Africa no. and Marmite. Or if you're listening in Australia, Vegemite, as I guess is the equivalent. Well, that's, I think, a bit of a, but I can, you a know gimmick, what? isn't it? But I think it might be quite clever because I don't like the stuff. I think it's disgusting. But some people love it. So love it. So imagine if you're a guy, you spray yourself with this thing with Marmite in it and a woman walks past and loves Marmite that's actually going to work. She's going to sniff. Oh, you. you're going. You're going. You're going full into the uh, into the branding here. Love it or hate it. <laughs> yeah, because I as don't, if that's a real thing. No, because I think it is. Because I hate it. Like there's no in between. I don't think there is an in between with it. I think you love it or you hate it. Generally speaking. Um. Do you no, love it? I, I do, do you love I don't it? Think so. I think that was just branding, just just it, strong marketing from them. Genuinely, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near somebody sprayed with Marmite. It sounds very sticky. Well, it's not sticky. It's deodorant. But you'd you get that waft, <laughs> and you'd think, "Oh, I want to." I don't know what you'd uh, want to do. I at feel that like point. we're losing the plot in our so sleep we had a conversation. State now. And we also the other thing in Australia, they have rats, which is yeah different to us. So we have. 
We don't have lats, do we? L-A-F-T. We have lateral flows in the UK. They have rats, rapid antigen test so it's really strange okay, when you okay. when you walk along so i go for my run you're very proud of me being running and melbourne's very hilly good and there's lots of dogs so lots of hills and lots of dogs so that's been quite a challenge but you run past a shop or walk and there's a sign in the window that says we have no rats today <laughs> which I, I the first time i was like well that's a positive that you haven't got any rats yeah uh, i'm not sure why you yeah. ad- don't know why you'd advertise the fact you haven't got any rats and then I realized when I went to um, Melbourne Park and a lady came around and said, do you want your rat? And I was like, okay. I mean, you just say, okay, don't you? And then she put the test in a little bag on my desk because we take a rat every day. It's, it's, right. not, it's not mandatory, but you can. So I go to the media every day. I can't say, can I have a rat? I refuse to say, can I have a rat? So I just say, can I have a test? And the lady will say, do you want a rat? And I say, can I have a test? Because I can't. It's a good way around it. It's just weird, isn't it? So rats, that's the other thing. So they have rats out here. So I'm learning all different kind of food stuff, bits and pieces, which we go off on tangents, a bit like we do. And one last thing, because it's it's yeah. well in it's well into Sunday now. I just saw something on social media. One of our listeners sent it to us. You know those Hoover things that do their own thing? Yeah. One yes, is, the Roombas. Yeah, but one... one <laughs> I know who what they are. You don't. <laughs> what do you mean? Do you know those Hoover things that do their own things? As if you're bringing this up for the first time in the podcast. This is outrageous behaviour. <laughs> but apparently one escaped from a hotel in Amsterdam. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're coming for us. There's an open door. This little round thing sort of whirs out the front door and off it goes. 